Praise the Lord. Can somebody say praise the Lord with me this morning? Amen. So good to see you here today. I know that on uh, Wednesday nights we have uh, took a break from feeding through the month of July. That'll start again up in uh, August sometime. But we had to regroup due to, you know, right before it happened, uh, they were feeding and Bud Middleton was coming through the line. And he come up to the first place there and they were serving mashed potatoes at that time. And Bud just grabs his plate and splat, 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 splat. And finally, you know, the woman said, hey, Bud, what are you doing? I'm getting mashed potatoes. He said, well, Bud, you got to leave a little bit for the kids. He says, and remember, God's watching you. So Bud goes on through the line and he gets way down by the sweets where no one's looking. <clears throat> and he starts grabbing all these sweets up. Susan, his wife's there. And she says, Susan, uh, Susan says, Bud, what are you doing? He said, don't worry about it. God's got his eyes on the mashed potatoes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Laughter doeth good like a medicine. Boy, y'all are quiet today. Hadn't worship been good this morning? Is it God good this morning? Is it God great this morning? Then praise him. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with the Psalms 85, 1 through 13. And while you're turning there, I want them to put the declaration up. If you'd stand with me, and we're going to do the declaration, and then we'll let you be seated here in just a few moments. But let's do the declaration together. Are you ready? Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Now give the Lord praise for that. Amen. Now read with me Psalms 85 as they put it up on the board for us. It says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered, them, uh, covered all of their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. That Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thy anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thy anger toward us to cease. Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thy anger to all generations? Will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again into folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Hallelujah. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the ways of his steps. Brother Lane, would you ask the Lord's blessing on the word this morning, please? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Heal us. Right now, Jesus. God, I pray that the mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit 
Amen. You may be seated. Here within our text, we see that the psalmist reflects back on the former mercies of God. He talks about how that God had been merciful before them in times past. Listen to verses one through three. He said, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all of their sin. And then he says, thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thy anger. What a blessing. The psalmist is stating that the land had been blessed and the people had been saved by his saving grace and by his saving mercy. How many knows that nothing has changed? Because for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God and not by works lest any man should boast. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God here today? Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God here today? If you are, give the Lord a hand clap of praise for grace and mercy. Amen. But the psalmist acknowledges that the former blessings was due to God's favor upon them. He recognized that. But here in our text, the nation is in trouble because they are having the conflict with God again. They have turned from God and they have polluted the land again with their sins and with their folly. And it is here in Psalms 85 that the psalmist is praying for the Lord to restore favor back to the land and that the Lord would save his people. That's what he's praying. This is a prayer. As a matter of fact, it is said that the first generation of any movement or revival is usually radically transformed. Those that have been birthed in revival, those that have been saved in revival, they are truly transformed. All things uh, become new and things begin to come alive and there's transformation of life in the life of the believer. But they say that the second and third generations are grateful and they live the transformation indirectly. In other words, they enjoy its fruit, but they don't pursue its cause. They like its effects, but they don't like maintaining that which it took to obtain it. They do not like paying the price. They want the benefits and the blessings without the burden, and we see that happening in a lot of generations. But sadly, this causes them to drift back into complacency and form an atmosphere of mediocrity, and then they end up in a state of apathy toward God. This is what happened to Israel. Anytime that it is, anytime that something is not maintained and kept, it becomes lost. How many knows that? Let me say that again. Anything that is not maintained or kept, it becomes lost, and that is true in the spiritual sense as well. It's not good enough that great-grandfather had an experience, and I was told that, and it affected my life, and I enjoy the benefits of what happened to grandfather as it's passed down to me, but I have to obtain that which he obtained. I have to keep and maintain it in my own life. Can I have an amen to that? But the fourth generation, they say, is often clueless, rejecting the faith of their fathers altogether. They say it's about every four generations that backsliding happens throughout the, the Bible in the life of Israel. This generation often returns back to the sin in which the family was actually liberated. And if this generation does not get revived, the fourth generation, the movement of faith dies altogether and its influence is cut off and revival effects begin to stop. Then the land becomes cursed, the land becomes polluted, and the people find themselves in bondage all over again. They say that the manifestation of power diminishes with each generation until there's no manifestation of power at all. And let me tell you something, folks. This describes our nation today. It is a fit emblem of where we're at in this generation. We are just like what is revealed in the time of Joshua. In the time of Joshua, it literally says in the first few chapters that there was a people who knew God. God. The second and third generation knew of God, and by the time it come to the fourth generation, they did not know God. They went from knowing God to knowing of God 
to not knowing God at all. And we're seeing that very generation of not knowing God rising up right before our eyes. Lester Sumrall warned the church when he was alive. I like his quote. Listen to what he said. I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He said, if modern Pentecostals attempt to leave from their initial live from their initial blessing only, let me start all over. I butchered that. If modern Pentecostals attempt to live from their initial blessings only and they do not pursue the life-giving grace of God, they will soon perish. He went on and said, every movement needs from time to time a fresh blessing that repurposes them and in a sense reinvents themselves. If there's ever a time that you and I need to be reinvented, it is now. If there's ever a time the church needs to find its purpose again, it is now. If there's ever a time that we need a fresh wind of Pentecost to blow over our lives and flame the flickering fire, it is now in which we live. The embers that are laying there that are just about to go out, we need God to breathe upon them one more time. We don't need to be filled. We don't need to be intoxicated with wine, but we need to be filled with the Spirit all over again. Can I have an amen? We as the people of God must humbly admit we are in need of a fresh blessing of Pentecost more now than ever in our lives. We need it. We gotta have it or we're going to die. Can I have an amen? We're not just living in a time of complacency or apathy toward God, but we're living in a time of defiance toward God and there is a big difference this generation is not only turned from the faith but they're now calling good uh, they are now calling evil good and good evil can I have an amen they have replaced faith with self-indulgence they're not no longer mixing it like the former generations but they're in denial of the faith movement altogether this generation is lost 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 can you hear me this generation is not just ignoring God but they they're fighting against God. They are opposing God. And there is a difference. They're not just a generation that 2 Timothy 3 and 4 talks about. They're lovers of pleasures more than the lovers of God. This is talking about the second and the third generation that are complacent toward God, full of apathy. They love the things of the world more than loving the things of God and they got mixed up priorities. That speaks to a lot of us that are in this middle age. Can I have an amen? That speaks of the third, and the, the third generation, the second generation. But this new generation that is rising up in the land has become a militant group of God haters. Can you hear me? They're not just mixing their faith with the world. They have come completely out from the life of faith. They've embraced the world and they have become God opposers, God fighters, God haters, and they have become a militant group. If you will notice those that are protesting pro-life believers and Christian believers and anti-homosexual believers, they are the young generation from college down and they have become militant. They're full of hate. They're full of violence. They're full of strife. They're not just disrespectful like the other generations have been at times. They don't just interrupt things just to mess up things. You know, the first thing they used to do is just go in and interrupt or distract. And you can understand that. And sometimes they, 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 they were just disrespectful, but it's gone way beyond that. Now they don't just do those kinds of things, but they have become violent. They beat upon anyone that disagrees with them. They throw stones. 
stones. They hit with clubs. They kick people when they're down. They beat upon the elderly. How many seen that? They have the young people beating upon the elderly and the journalists on television. That is the militant group that I'm talking about. Folks, we can put our hand in the sand and say it, it, it doesn't happen here, but it's coming here rapidly. What goes around the world begins to spread from the cities down into the rural areas. And you better heed the word of this preacher because I'm prophesying that this movement of so-called God-haters is coming upon the land to the point that the Christian church and the Christians are going to be persecuted here soon like you have never seen before. Now that ain't hallelujah preaching, but it's truth. And I'm here to preach against it and I'm here to proclaim what the Lord is saying about it. I want to tell you, this has not got God caught off guard. God neither slumbers nor he sleeps. He that watches over Israel is alive and awake 24 hours and seven days a week. And I'm here to tell you that this has not caught our God off guard. And even though they got a plot and they got a plan that God sits in the heavens and he laughs, ha, 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 ha. You think you're winning, but when the smoke settles, God will have his way. Can you say amen? Give the Lord praise for that. I'm about to preach the word of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This generation beats upon anyone that disagrees. They can't disagree agreeably. They can't just say, okay, I disagree with you, but I still admire you. I still respect you as an American citizen. I don't agree with a lot of them, but I still respect them as Americans. But I want to tell you some these people, they spew violence from their mouths. They make threats with hideous verbal abuses, and they're mean-spirited. Can I have an amen? Doesn't this describe the people in Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32? Listen to what it says. And even if they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, what causes them to be like this? They do not like to retain God in their knowledge. They don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear what you got to say as a Christian. It doesn't matter to them what you say about God and the judgment and anything else. God gave, it says God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things which are inconvenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, boastful, proud, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Does that not like, sound like them? I know I read that a little fast. But listen to the last verse of chapter, uh, verse 32, chapter one of Romans that describes them who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do they do the same, but they have pleasure in doing it. They don't care, amen, that it's wrong. They do it in spite and they mock God. These people are not just anti-church, they're anti-God. They are not just ignoring the church, they're persecutors of the church. Paul said that these people were arrogant, traitors, heady, high-minded, boastful, proud, and that kind of a thing. They actually believe that they're doing a world of favor by persecuting the church and persecuting the Christian because biblical morals are seen as oppressive and seen as a hate speech. They actually believe that. They believe that me, me, you and I are full of hatred, that we're racial, that we're bigots. Can I have an amen? This is caused due to the lack of their ability to discern between right and wrong. This generation is so displaced that the worst of immoralities become the laws of our land. And biblical morals are seen as bondage and hateful, and they feel like they're liberating women, especially when it comes to this abortion thing, and they do it by stomping on the believers that oppose them. Can I have an amen? 
Listen to, to me, church, and I want to make this statement. I want to read it because the Lord gave me this. When the darkness gathers and a nation by its words and deeds invites and empowers evil, then this generation knows not God and this nation will be turned into hell. It shall be lost. That's where we're at. Is America going to be turned into hell or are we going to have revival? That's the question I want to ask you. This is where the psalmist is at. He's looking over at the former mercies of God. He's beginning to see how that they have took it for granted, how they trampled under their feet the mercy and the grace of God that God and the future generations of the fathers had blessed, touched the land, made the land fruitful, protected them, overshadowed them, kept them by his grace, sustained them over and over and over. He protected them from enemies. He healed them of diseases. He gave them a good land. And then all of a sudden the psalmist says, but look what we've turned into today. He can't understand it. He's just blown away by, and he begins to pray and he begins to intercede. The nation had fell back into folly. The favor of God had lifted. The land had become polluted again. And in his prayer over the nation, he begins to intercede for these people. And listen to me. Listen to his intercessory in just verse 4 through 6, which comes right after him bragging about the mercies of God. How good that God was. How good that God, how great he was. He said, turn us, O God of our salvation. Now he recognizes, I want to stop right here. He recognizes where salvation comes. Salvation only comes from the Lord. He said, turn us, O God of our salvation. You're our only hope. Jesus is our only hope to our land. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. If we don't embrace the cross and go back to the provisions of the cross, this nation's lost. There's no other way in which we can be saved other than through the blessed name of Jesus Christ our Lord. He's Messiah. He's God. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's high priest. He's everything that we need to be. And there is no other outside of Jesus Christ. Give Lord praise. But this generation don't care. They don't even, they don't, that does not affect them. Them words are like water running off of a duck's back. Listen to me, listen to him in verse four through six, which as I said, comes right after he understands that God's mercy was so real. Turn us, O God of salvation, cause thy anger to, toward us to cease. How many believes that there is a righteous indignation of God? You can call it global warming all that you want, and that's what they're trying to attach to it. But I want to tell you, and a lot of preachers disagree with me, and that's okay. I've got a right to my, my opinion, and I've got a right to what I feel like the Spirit's saying to me. The things that are happening in our land today is not just happenstances. They are direct judgments of God that God's trying to get our attention. You can say whatever you want to say, and you can say, oh, you're a doom and gloom preacher. No one wants to hear this kind of stuff anymore. All they want to hear is how great God is and, and be a motivational speaker and don't focus on any of the opposites. And if you do, you're a radical and you're out in left field and you're crazy and you're some kind of a weird, uh, independent person that's off the charts. Well, I'm here to tell you, call me what you ever want to call me. But I want to tell you, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he changes not. And if he begins to dissing his people in old times of old, he still does it today. And he's visiting this nation and he's shaking this nation. And we better wise up and we better listen to what what he's trying to tell us. If not, we will be lost. Amen. God help me. He's actually interceding for him. Look at verse five. Will thou be angry with us forever? Will thou draw out thy anger to all generations? Now here's the psalmist. He's saying, are you going to be mad? How long are you going to be mad? He said, is this anger going to continue to the next generation and the next generation? He's concerned about the former generation. He's probably sitting there in his mind, these people deserve to get whatever they got. They squandered grace. 
These people trampled under their feet grace. They deserve what they get. But are you going to let this anger continue the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation? You mean my great-great-grandchildren are going to be uh, affected by the actions of this one generation to the point that they're going to be lost? I ask you that same question today. Are we going to rise up and be the generation that we're supposed to be and take over our land? Or are we going to let another generation in a militant power push us back in the corner and make us afraid and go behind cores and keep our doors shut, our mouths shut because we're afraid of a little of a persecution? This is where we're at. Some people will not even, whether you like him or don't, and I'm not promoting him, and I'm not not promoting him. But a lot of people won't even hit where a Make America Great hat again, even though they like Donald Trump, because they're afraid of the persecution that it brings. I want to tell you, if I'm a strong believer in what he's doing, and if I'm a believer of Donald Trump, I'm going to put a hat on, and I'm going to wear it. They can do whatever they want to do. Amen? If you don't like him, then you don't have to wear the hat. That's the right of America. But don't let persecution rob you of your belief. I'm a little, I almost, it's not cussing, but it's the closest thing to it. Sometimes I want to call them names. I'm a little whiny, little sissy. Come on. I got to sanctify my mouth sometimes. Because a righteous indignation gets up and woo, I don't like what I see. And before long, I'm doing things I shouldn't do by calling them. I remember one time I was praying and I said, them stinking idols and God convicted me. He said, that, don't use the word stinking like that. And so I, I try to watch my wording now. We gotta watch how we even treat our enemies. Because we're people of love and grace and mercy and compassion. And we don't wanna stoop to the level that they are. We don't want to be militant in our verbal speech by calling them names. That's hard not to do. Where are you at out there, folks? Am I the only one that struggles in that area? Amen. He's actually interceding for them. This guy is. You know what intercessory is? I got a new definition of interceding this week. God spoke to me and he said, interceding means that you're praying for people that can't pray for themselves. They can't pray for themselves. They don't have the heart to pray. They don't have the knowledge to pray. They don't have the want to. Come on. You're doing what they cannot do. So quit trying to make this generation pray. You're going to have to pray for them because they can't do it for themselves. His first prayer is turn us. What does turn us mean? It's repentance. You know, repentance means to turn around, to forsake that which you got a hold of. That's what true repentance is. True repentance is not, oh, I'm sorry, I got my hand caught in the cookie jar, but I'm going to keep going back to the cookie jar. It's not keep on doing the same things that we've been doing and then repenting over them over every single night. We get down, oh God, I've done it again today. I'm sorry. That's not repentance. God doesn't receive such a thing. Amen? Uh, hello? But this guy said, I want true repentance. He said, turn us. He's actually repenting for the people. Did you know there's sometimes you've got to repent for people because they can't repent for themselves at that particular time? He's actually standing the gap for the nation. He's pleading the holiness and the blood of the sacrifices at that time upon the nation. He's actually pleading their case. How many of us, we need to learn that art. Why is he doing it? Because 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God's not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. That God loves them. And that this, this psalmist knew it. He loved them. God don't want them to perish, so he intercedes on their behalf. You know what Luke chapter 13 verse 3 says? I tell you nay, Jesus says, but unless you repent, you're all going to likewise perish. 
And then, of course, you got second, you got Acts chapter 17, verse 20, where it says, and the times of ignorance God once winked at, but now he commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Repentance is necessary for the forgiveness of sin. That if we do not learn to repent, the nation's going to be lost. There's got to be a true, genuine, God-felt, convicted prayer of repentance made. That it can't just be this whiny stuff where we come to an altar, oh, I'm sorry, and get up and just go out and do the same old things. I want to tell you something, folks. I hate to tell you this, but you, we cannot treat God's throne room like Catholics treat a confession booth with a priest. That ain't good preaching, is it? We've got to come under the umbrella of true conviction and say, God, turn our nation. We better get a burden. Somebody better get a burden with this pastor and say, we got to start learning how to intercede over these people. They cannot intercede for themselves. That's why Jesus said, pray for them that despitefully use you and abuse you. And if they do smite you on the cheek, turn the left off to them. They, they don't know what they're doing. That's why that when they were stoning Stephen, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They don't understand what they're doing here. And we got to understand that we got to come under the umbrella of intercessory. Then he asked the ultimate question in verse six. Will thou re revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? I like that passage of scripture because first of all, he reveals there is no rejoicing without revival. We can come in here and go through the formats all we want, but I want to tell you, they're not to be true, anointed, inspired worship without, without first of all, revival taking place. There's got to be the spirit of repentance that turns us into a spirit of revival. What a question. I ask you today, will God revive us again? Can God revive us? Can God revive us? I can't hear you. Can God revive us? I want to hear you say it. I want to hear you declare it. I want to hear you speak it. Can God revive us? Absolutely. How many believe that God wants to revive his people? Not only can he, but does he want to? Does God really want to come down and bless this place today? You really believe that? You really think God wants to come down and bless the palace of praise today? To set it on fire? Do you really in your heart believe that God wants to do that? Then what's keeping us from receiving it? How many believe that the chaos in our streets can be replaced by revival? Look at the chaos in the streets. Have you watched the news with our pain? Just total chaos. Did not the prophets of old in the Old Testament say that? Justice will fall of the streets. Chaos will come running and, and fill the streets. Come on. How many believe that lawlessness can be overcome, even though the members of Congress are encouraging it? Our members of Congress are actually telling those illegal immigrants that avoided the courts and the reason why that they're being uh, transported or deported, or whatever you want to call it, is because they refuse to go to the courts and they're in hiding. And our Congress is telling them, hey, rebel when ICE comes up and uh, tries to get, rebel against their efforts, fight against them, resist them. That's the members of Congress that is encouraging lawlessness. Can you imagine our Congress would do such a thing? Somebody needs to tell Nancy Pelosi, go home. You say, you mentioned the name. Well, she's the one that said it. Resist. Rebel. Fight. Oppose. I want to tell you, folks, that's strife. That's arrogant. 
to literally tell the people to fight against our own laws and to where we are now coming to the place that the police officers stand there and watch them beat up on citizens that's supposed to be protected by the police, but because of an order, they're allowing lawlessness to take over and no one goes to jail for violently beating up on people. And we're American citizens. We have the right to be protected. This is happening, folks. My wife, when she heard, our, I was going over some of the thoughts, she said, why are you preaching that? I said, because it's relative of where we live. I'm preaching where we live in. Everybody wants to ignore it. Everybody, oh, that ain't gonna happen. I, I, I've been talking to some of my family members about this thing, who's not Christians, and they oh, that ain't gonna happen. And, and they're so blinded to think that the things that I'm talking about is not going to happen. I tell you, they have lost their mind because they cannot see in the spirit realm of what the seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils are doing in this last day that's setting up an antichrist kingdom. God, help me right here. How many believe that God can turn this whole nation around? I'm not talking about just little segments. I'm talking about the whole nation. I wish I had time to go back in the time of revival in the early 1900s in New York City when a man felt a need to... uh, uh, stay after work in, a, in his workplace and pray for an hour. And he started that. And to make a long story short, it kept just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And before it was over, that literally they were shutting down every Tuesday, every, every workplace around within several city blocks of that place. And thousands began to gather for prayer. And over one million people gave their heart and lives to Jesus Christ in New York City alone. If God done it back then, can he still not do it today? Can he not reach in the heart of New York City and start a revival? Can he not reach in the depth of California? Can he not reach down into Georgia or Florida? Can he not visit Papa Bluff with his power like that again and begin to spark a revival for the people that have a desire to intercede over a nation and believe and to dare believe that God once again is a force that is to be reckoned with and there is no one like our God and that God is a saving God full of mercy and tender grace and he wants to save this generation. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. How many believe even in odds of scripture concerning the last days? We know what the Bible says about the last days and it's not good. But how many believe in the odds of scripture that America doesn't have to follow down the road of destruction? Don't have to do it on our watch. Amen. Israel in the wilderness journey when they were rebellious and found themselves wanting, parched, dry, famine. They asked a question in Psalm 78, 19. Yea, they speak against God. They say, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? They spoke this in sarcasm. Listen to what it says. And they spake against God. Can God provide a table in the wilderness. They were mocking God, full of disbelief. Then their own stubbornness and stiff-neckedness and rebellion is what got them in the place that they were in in the first place. But somehow, it all become God's fault instead of their own fault because God had promised them a land that flowed with milk and honey and they were not a recipient of it at the time. They said, God gave us all these promises. Look where we're at. Not understanding where they were at was the result of their own failure and not God's. 
Where America is at today is not the believer's fault, nor is it the Christian's fault, nor is it God's fault. It's their own sin's fault. Can I have an amen? Oh, we may have let down and not done everything that we're supposed to, and we may have guilt in some areas, but I want to tell you, God's not guilty of where the nation's at today. God wants to bless this place. Amen? They cannot even see the people couldn't in our text what it was that had brought all this calamity on their lives. They couldn't see it. They didn't understand it. And when you tried to explain it to them, it one ear right out the other. And you say, well, pastor, then what's our hope? Well, this guy understood that the hope was intercessory in prayer, and it was to preach, but it was also to become a burning light himself. Listen to verse seven. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. He's beginning to say, go, let's go back to the past, God. And I want to tell you, our future's in our past. You can say whatever you want. Everybody wants to change things all the time. We change styles of music. We change styles of color. We change lights. We do all that. Nothing wrong with that kind of stuff. We keep up contemporary. But there's one thing that can't be changed, and that's the principles of Calvary and the principles of the cross and the principles of repentance and being born again and the principles of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Them things cannot be lost. Amen? It was his mercy that saved them the first time, and I want to tell you it was only by his mercy and grace and compassion that they would be saved again. And where we're at today, it's going to take the grace and the mercy of God, and we better be pleading it. We don't need to be praying judgment upon the people in the land. We need to be praying grace and mercy upon the land. Then listen to what he said in verse 8. I will hear what the Lord will speak. I like this. He's eager to hear what God's saying concerning this matter. When's the church going to get eager to hear what God's saying? And we think to hear what God's saying means we're going to turn on the television and listen to 20 different preachers and then take a consensus of what they're saying, mingle it together, and somehow out of those 20 voices get a, get a vibe of what God's saying. I want to tell you something. God can speak direct to you. You don't need me to speak to you. God's speaking in the spirit, and he says in the last days it's high time to awake out of the slumber and hear what the spirit's saying to the church because in the last days God speaks expressively, loudly, clearly, God's speaking, we're just not listening. And here's the psalmist, and he says, I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again into folly. I love this passage of scripture. I have seen this before. I don't know that I've ever preached on it before, but I want to tell you something. This is a powerful, powerful scripture because somehow a rhema word comes to the intercessor and reveals God's desire right in the middle of his prayer. There is something that happens right in the middle of this man's praying. Right in the middle of this verse, a transition takes place. Whether you notice it or whether you don't is vitally important. Because he says, I will hear what the Lord will speak. He's eager to hear what God's saying. He's attentive. And let me tell you, the Bible tells us that we are to search the Lord with our whole heart. That we're come before him. That we are to want to hear from the Lord. Not, you know what we do, we go out to these latest things, find things we're attracted to that fits our personality, the things that we like, the things we want to hold on to, and then we want to take them to God and say, okay, God, embrace this. Now, God, anoint this. Now, God, touch this, and God, help me to implement this. God, help me to somehow get this started. And God's sitting there saying, you never even asked me what I wanted. You only done what was conducive to your own personality and what you liked. But this guy says, Lord, I want to hear what the Lord says. And then right in the middle, he says, I will hear what the Lord speaks. He makes a declaration under divine utterance. For the Lord will speak peace unto the people and to his saints. How did he know that? All of a sudden, divine revelation comes. 
he makes a declaration in his language. What is a declaration? A declaration is a language construct that specifies properties of an identifier. He's identifying the heart of God. Here he is saying, God is going to give us people peace. He reveals God's heart. (laughs) He hears from God right in the middle of this verse concerning the question of revival. Then he makes a proclamation. But let them not turn again into folly. What does that mean? But let them not turn again into folly. They are in folly, but not according to the proclamation. He is proclaiming them forgiving. He is announcing them as pardoned. A proclamation is an official declaration issued by a person of authority to make certain announcements known. What God had decreed in his declaration about having peace on the land, the psalmist now under the unction of the spirit makes known by divine proclamation. In other words, what has been spoken has already been done. It has already been appropriated. God has set in motion the wills to bring it to pass. Hallelujah. In other words, he's praying, God, I want to hear what you've got to say about this, this generation. They're full of anger, wrath, malice, strife. They're a militant group. They're full of folly and they're out, chasing idol gods. They're caught up in all kinds of fornication and adultery and they don't want to listen to anybody and they don't want to correct it and they want to live in it. They want to waller in it like hogs. God, they're filthy, they're dirty, but God, I want to hear what you got to say about it. I'm going to speak peace to them. You know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to pardon them from their folly. Oh, hallelujah. I got hope for America. If God done it once, he can do it again. If God turned the tables for Israel, he can turn the tables for the good old U.S. of A. If God can reach back in time and show mercy a second time, I want to tell you that he can show mercy again to the United States in a way that will blow our mind. Are you ready for revival? Are you ready for renewal? Are you ready for the forgiveness of God? The pardon blood of Jesus to cover the earth again. Hallelujah. In 100 AD, 70 years after the resurrection, 30 years after the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, there were only 20 to 25,000 believers on the earth. 30 AD, Jerusalem been destroyed. Resurrection happened. Jerusalem been destroyed. The temple been destroyed. And at this particular time at 30 AD, only 20 to 25,000 believers remained on the earth. For every living believer at that time, an estimated two others had been martyred under Nero. Over 50,000, 60,000 people had been killed. They were trying to literally destroy the faith. More were killed than what was living. All the original 12 apostles at this particular time were dead. Not only were the 12 apostles, but Paul, Timothy, Titus, John, Mark, Luke, Silas, Barnabas, along with James, along with Jude, all of the bro- which were the brothers of Jesus, they were all dead as well. These were your home run hitters. These are the ones that were close to Jesus. These were the true disciples. These are the men that had the declaration over their lives saying these men are the witness over their lives that said these men turned the world upside down with their preaching. 
Their doctrine has infiltrated Jerusalem to the point that literally that they're disrupting the society because people are giving their lives. In one service, 3,000 people get saved. These people are annoyance, but they're dead. They're gone, the home run hitters. Yet in 50 years, from 30 AD, the numbers of Christians would virtually double to over 40 to 50,000. By 180 AD, the number passed 10 or 100,000 Christians that were all in the province of the empire. They were in 23 of the 31 largest cities. By 197 AD, every nation had a movement of Christianity despite the blood martyrs that still flowed. By 250 AD, the number of Christians passed one million people. Hallelujah. Are you catching what's happening here? In 310 AD, after another episode of severe, severe persecution, there were 20 million Christians globally. There were 10 million in the empire out of an empire of about 60 million, which was about, when you really looked at it, they said it was about 14% of the population of the empire turned Christian. Wow, that's unbelievable. All of this was after 10 imperial persecutions, each of which destroyed bishops, key leaders, and pastors. With the best of minds and the most influential leaders killed, there were more of the leaders killed than were alive. With all of that taking place, in a sea of paganism where faith was illegal and worship had to take place in secret, yet they grew and multiplied by the thousands. And we have open worship today. We have got the opportunity, folks. If they can do that in an underground church, being persecuted, giving their lives for Christ, with over 20 million globally at that particular time, with over 40 million of them dead. Look at how many people were saved under the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ during that time. Do you not understand what took place? A group of roaring lambs toppled the empire of Rome. In the past Pentecostals, in Pentecostal revival, it shut down whole cities. I can remember as a young boy seeing men like Jimmy Swaggart get up and preach to 100,000 people and just thousands of people in every given service come and give their life to Jesus Christ. I hear of, uh, I'm not as old as somebody like maybe Bill and Lane and, and Brother Crutchfield where you remember Oral Roberts tent revivals. I wasn't born during that time, but thousands of people flocked across the nation to hear him preach. D.L. Moody would go around and preach and people would be saved and men like... Uh, uh, men like, um, uh, 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 I can't think of his name right now. But there are all kinds of, Billy Graham, look at what took place in the life of Billy Graham. Is America lost, I ask you? No, it's not lost. If they took villages by storm, they changed cultures, societies, populations, whole regions, and I ask you, can God do it again? Will David, uh, will, 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 will God revive his people? We are in need of a time of refreshing from the Lord. We are in need of a fire to burn within our bellies again. We need power to precede us. We need manifestations to declare and to make known what God has seen. We need to be cares of the fire to every town, hamlet, business, home within America. I'm here to tell you what Jesus said. He said on the cross, it's finished. 
And then he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You know what that was? That was a divine declaration. He said, if I go to that cross and be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Did he not go to the cross? Has he not died? Has he not been lifted up on the pole? Then he has promised that if we'll get, if we'll get, it, get it together, that he'll start drawing people unto him. He's been lifted up on that cross and it's not God's will that any should perish. He's out to save. He wants to save. He's not against these people. But Jesus also said to some of his disciples, he said, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom come with power. It was on that day of Pentecost that the kingdom came in power and the manifestation declaring that Jesus made it to heaven and the blood was applied to the mercy seat happened that day. Let me just stop because I just feel I, I, I feel like I'm losing you. Here's what took place on the day of Pentecost. Jesus proclaimed. He said, you know what? There's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And it's through the blood. You're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's all by the cross. But you know what? He said, but there's going to come a day that what I've declared about drawing all men into me, he said, there'll be a divine proclamation in the ears of the people to declare that which I have done. The atonement will already begin to be placed in, 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 in tune to where you can obtain it. Now watch how it happened. In the Old Testament, the high priest, which Jesus become after his death, he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, to be intercession, to be our high priest. In the Old Testament, during the tabernacle times, they would sacrifice the animals out in the courtyard. They would make the necessary preparations. They would, they would offer the bulls on, on the altar. They'd catch its blood. They'd give it to the priest, and the high priest would take that blood, and he would go to the laver and wash his hands, sanctify himself, get ready to go in to make the atonement for their sins. And he'd go into the holy place, and he'd go through the different rituals that took place there. Then he would go behind the veil where the Ark of the Covenant was at. On top of the Ark of the Covenant was what? The mercy seat. Upon the mercy seat was what? Two cherubims with their wings over the mercy seat. That's why it says, he that bideth under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. In other words, we want to abide under mercy. Can I have an amen? But it was there he would take that blood and he would apply it on that mercy seat. And if that man wasn't right with God, if he had sin in his life, God would strike him dead. And no one could go in after him because only the high priest could go in behind the veil. They'd tie a rope around him. And the only way whether or not they knew the sacrifice was accepted, that priest on the bottom of his garment wore bells. And every time he moved, those bells would ring. Ding, ling, ling. And when they'd hear outside of the courtroom, everybody was paying attention. Is that high priest righteous? Is that high priest holy? Is our sin atonement going to be okay? Or is God going to judge us? It all relied upon that one man. That man would take that blood in there and he'd put it up on the mercy seat. And as long as they heard them bells ringing, they knew that redemption was near. And all of a sudden, if them bells stopped, they knew they were in trouble and they knew the man had been killed because he had sin in his life. And who can ascend to the holy hill? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. He that's not has sworn himself deceitfully or, 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 or been caught up in vanity. It takes a pure man to go before the throne room of God that's been dipped in the the blood of the lamb and forgiven. This man had to make the proper preparations but when he did those bells ring well let me tell you what happened on the day of Pentecost that day suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them clothing tongues as a fire and it set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit of God gave the utterance 
you say, why is that important? Because that sound from heaven was the bells declaring he has made it. The son of God has made it to the throne room of heaven. He's placed the blood upon the mercy seat. That which he has declared is now an open proclamation to whosoever will, they can be saved. you stand with me? I'm, I'm running out of time. Hey! How many's ready for revival? You believe in revival? You might as well just start receiving it right where you're at. Hey! God wants to revive you, church. I didn't preach this thing just to come and so you could stare at me and say, now what? It's not up to me, it's up to God. I hear the bells of heaven ringing. I hear the high priest still alive and well. He's able to save to the uttermost of them that see that he ever liveth to make intercessory for the people. Can I have an amen? He's alive. He's ready to intercede. And we need to be interceding for our nation. Now listen to the sum up of it all. You ready? Then I'm closing. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in the land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Righteousness shall look down from heaven. Do you hear what's happening? Truth's gonna spring up from the earth. Revival's happening. Heaven, righteousness is gonna look down. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and he shall set us in his steps. You know what God's wanting to do? He's wanting to shake this congregation today. Because it starts with us. It starts right here. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Every sin that we have hid, everything that we've been tucking under the rug and not dealing with and everything we flattered around with and glamorized and overlooked and just ignored, God's bringing it to account right here today. Can I have an amen? And God's saying, I will be merciful if you want me to be merciful. I am available if you want me to be available. But the truth of the matter, it all starts with us. You want revival? You want revival? I'm ready to pray with you right now if you want revival. I'm ready to see a people so hungry and say, I'm ready to fight for our nation. I'm ready to get myself under the blood of Jesus. I'm ready to get everything in our lives, the detail to what it should be. I want to be holy. I want to be right. I want the increase of the land. I want God to look down. I want good things to happen. I want God to turn us from our, 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 the pollution of our land to a wholesome land, a fruitful land. I want God to let righteousness and glory once again shine from heaven. Would you come this morning? Would you just gather around? Let's pray. Come on, let, let's seek the Lord and ask God for revival. You say, well, it, it's Sunday morning. I don't care. We gotta get past this thing. We gotta get hungry for revival. We gotta be that first generation that has transformation of heart. I'd like for you to stand if you could, not kneel. Because I want my intercessors, if you're an intercessor of the church, I want you to just start going around. If you're in ministry, if you're a lay person, if you're on the council, if you're an elder, I want you to go around and start laying hands on the people. Pray for revival to spark our hearts. Get a bird and start praying one another for revival. If you got sin in your life, get it under the blood right now in the name of Jesus. Start asking God, God, this is what's going on in my life. I'm going to correct it. I'm not going to baby it. I see it for what it is. It's destructive. It's going to be a curse to me. It's going to bring a a, a judgment upon me. God, I denounce it right now, and I'm going to fix it in Jesus' name under the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Start praying, guys.
Jimmy, ask him to start praying for the people. Hannah, you, you, helping. Huh? Father, right now in the name of Jesus, let the anointing of the Holy Ghost start touching your people. Start touching your people, God. Touch this nation. Touch your people. Touch your church. Yeah. Holy Spirit, breathe upon your congregation. Breathe fire upon the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Sit upon us, God. Sit upon us, God. Hear our prayer, Lord. Hear our intercessory. Hear our repentance, God. Turn, let us turn us, oh God. Turn us that we might fear you. Lord, send revival. You done it once, you'll do it again. You done it for Israel, you'll do it for us. You done it for Judah, you'll do it for us. Oh God, will thou not revive that people that we may rejoice in thee, that the land will rejoice, that the earth will rejoice. Cleanse us, God. Cleanse us, God. Cleanse us, God. Move on us, God. I'm not almost sent of a high. Breathe, God, right now. Breathe upon us. Breathe upon us. Holy Ghost, be merciful unto us, your people. Hallelujah. of healing it's a place where I find freedom there's a place my eyes can't see where my spirit longs to be it's a place of healing it's a place I live in freedom. I want you to remember two things, church. That which is not kept or maintained will be lost. That which will is not kept or maintained will be lost. The second thing, when the darkness gathers and a nation by its words and deeds invites and empowers that evil, then this generation no longer knows God and the nation will be turned into hell and they'll be lost. What a burden that is upon us here today. Oh God, breathe upon us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I hear right now that there's a sound of an abundance of rain. I just feel like God's wanting to revive and refresh people. Ask God for a refreshing right now. Before we close, just ask God to refresh me, God. Refresh me in the faith. Refresh me in the spirit. Renew a right spirit within me, God. Forgive me of the past, of everything that I've done. Confess the things that come to your mind. Denounce them. Say, refresh me now, God. Forgive me of not tithing. Forgive me of not church attendance. Forgive me of lying. Forgive me of gambling. Forgive me of whatever it is that God's dealt with you on. Say, God, I present it to you. I'm going to trust you. Hallelujah. I'm going to lift my hands. Till I can reach heaven, gonna shout your name till these walls come falling. Lane reasons I need you to come up here for a minute. Come here, Lane. If you can, I know you I know you're feeling very ill. Come on. 
I think God's going to do something with you. I want you to pray over this congregation for me. Pray your heart. Just take your time. Lord, you are holy, and we are so thankful for that. And Lord, your holiness causes you to have compassion on this nation, Lord, and on our people, on this church. Lord, we know that you have a heart that wants to see us come to you, that wants to see revival in our land. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, would you just wash over this nation of ours, Lord, with the fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. God, that the power of God might be seen by, by a, a sinful people, Lord. Lord, we know we're not where we need to be with you. We know that we have sin in our life. There are things, Lord, that, that we are not proud of. And God, we ask that you'll just cleanse each and every one of our hearts. Lord, we pray that if there is some tiny thing that it, that, that's in our heart, Lord, that, uh, that you are not happy with, Lord, we pray that you'll bring that to our, to our attention. And God, help us then to have the grace and the strength to overcome that problem. Lord, we, we want to be close to you. We want to know you, Lord, in, in power and in might, in love and forgiveness. And God, I just pray that you'll just be with us. God, that you'll just touch this nation, that you'll touch our leaders, Lord. God, there are so many leaders in our nation today that have no regard whatsoever for you and god we pray that that somehow through your power and through your presence that they had come to realize their position with you that they would come to accept you as lord and as savior we know that's your heart and god we just pray that you'd fulfill that which is on your mind in christ jesus amen and amen If we'll continually stay on this path and seek the Lord and begin to ask him and be merciful to our country, to be merciful to us, to be merciful. I look at my grandchildren sometimes and I just weep. And I thought they're not living in the same United States that I lived in. In my lifetime, such a turning has taken place. Such a militant group has risen up. And my young, teen, my young, my young uh, grandchildren are gonna face that militant group in a much mightier way than what I am if something don't change. If we don't see a change soon, we're not going to like what we're, where we're going to be here just shortly. But the church has power. If one old man can get on his knees and intercede for a nation and hear from God and make a bold declaration and a proclamation come in behind it and, say, and declare they're pardoned, they're free, just don't let them turn again to their folly. He warns them, I'll forgive you. I'll say, but don't you turn to your folly again. Don't you go back like a dog in its vomit that Second Peter talks about. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, God bless you today. You're dismissed.